you get paid is a big part of how you serve clients and the experience that they have. High fees, low fees, commissions, AUM, flat fees. I've got it all here, folks, today. We're going to be having a rowdy debate. We're about to hash it out. So welcome to the jungle. And let's get started, shall we, gentlemen? Okay. So first, we have Mike Hankins. Mike, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Sarah. Uh, good afternoon. I'm Mike Pinkins. Um, just very quick about me. I'm a CFA, CFP on the protection side. Uh, I've worked for um, using AUM, um, hourly fees, but mostly uh, compensated by commission. So, uh, and I enjoy that, uh, working in that, in that avenue. And uh, I do believe that you can still uh, satisfied best interest rules uh, with commission. So I've pulled back a little bit from uh, AUM uh, and really do focus on insurance solutions for uh, individuals that normally don't think of protection first. And most of that is commissionable. Yep. Michael, thank you so much for being here with us. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Mr. Salaski. Oh, hi, Sarah. Uh, my name is Scott Salaski. I'm the founder and CEO of First Metric. I've been an advisor for 20 plus years, uh, both with First Metric and a prior firm. Um, both my current firm and my prior firm were all about low cost investment management, low cost advisory services for clients. Um, back in my other firm, it was low AUM fees. And this go around, it's low fixed flat fees. So I provide full service investment management advisory services for all aspects of clients' financial situation for a fixed flat fee of $4.95 a month. Clearly disclosed on the website, yes. Thank and you. And matching the ADV. <laughs> okay, Chris Randall. Hi, Chris. Hey, Sarah, thanks for having me today. So I'm the founder and CEO of Axis Capital Management. We are a flat fee financial advisory firm specializing in millennials, small business owners, and first-time investors that are just beginning their investing journey. Great. Thanks. Welcome to the show. Derek Robinitz. Yes, uh, I am the owner and founder of Basin Wealth Management. We are a combined, well, I, I'm the only employee. I'm a solo practitioner. I'm a CFA, a CPA, and soon to be a CFP. Uh, my main focus is on the intersection of taxes and investments and, and on its overlap, because everything you do on one has an effect on the other. So. Awesome. Derek, great to have you here. Hey, Doug. Hey there, Sarah. Doug Twitty with E4 Insurance, the Director of Annuities. Uh, I work with financial advisors and help point and guide in the right direction for uh, annuity services, We're dealing with MIGAs, fixed indexed annuities, income options, things like that. We do have some fee-based products, but we are almost entirely commission-based. Hmm. Great, Doug. Thanks for being here. Matt. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Excited to be here. Um, my name is Matt Pruitt. I've been uh, in the industry for over 10 years on the investment side, and I'm a, a recovering AUM advisor. I launched my flat fee practice this last year, um, and I'm really excited about it. I work mostly with uh, individuals in their 30s in, that, uh, in the tech world with equity compensation and just found that uh, there's a lot of conflicts of interest that were best served through the flat fee model. So looking forward to talking about, it, about that today. Great, Matt. Thanks for being here. Hey, Charles. 
Hey guys, uh, my name is Charles King. Um, been in the industry for about 10 years, worked for Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, and currently at LPL. And I do a mixture of both brokerage as well as uh, uh, fee-based models. Great, gentlemen, thanks so much for being here. So let's jump right in, shall we? What is the best fee model for the client? Go ahead, have at it. <laughs> of course, fixed flat fees, low cost, fair. I don't think you uh, just answer that as a blanket statement. I think I think fee-based products are great for accumulation, and most of the good protection and income stuff generally falls towards the commission side. Um, but I, I don't. I think I think that's a. It, it fits into its own places, honestly. Um, on the commission side, we don't pull money from the client, right? We don't pull it literally from their account. I look at statements all the time on, say, variable annuities or investment portfolios where. They're, they're losing money to fees and they're also losing money to the market. Do you think it'd be important that the client understands how much fees they're paying? How much fees they're paying? Well, which fees? On annuity fees or advisory fees? That, that's a great question, Doug. <laughs> Especially for <laughs> Cause, annuities. Because they're, they're, they're different. The <clears throat> Correct. Yep, all the fees. Um, so I think if it's an advisory fee for managing a portfolio, as long as they're gaining value, then that's perfectly fine. You're providing a service and you make money for providing the service. The client's getting what they want. How do you separate the cost of insurance with the cost of providing that product? What do you mean? So you're saying that there's no fees involved in an annuity, as in there is no line item on that particular product that says client pays X dollars for the opportunity to buy this product. However, we know that insurance is not free. It costs something because the insurance company is taking a risk. Therefore, that fee is embedded in the actual product itself. The cost of the insurance encapsulates the markup to the retail client. So how do you separate out that markup to show the client, here is what it costs for the insurance, and here's what it costs in order to, for us to write this product for you? It costs, what, 1% for you to hopefully do it on a, a fee-based side, or it costs nothing out of the contract value, and it'll cost you maybe a couple percentage points of growth because on the flip side, you're protecting yourself against loss. Hey, so Doug, that, I think that's... we're getting lost a little bit here. I, I guess, do, do you get a commission on selling that product? Sure. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about that. Cause I think products, like I actually wish there were more low fee products in the protection space. And as a flat, flat fee planner, I can actually side with you, Mike and Doug, where I think there is a misalignment of interest coming from AUM advisors who may not be as willing to sell your products or direct their clients to you. But when you look at alignment of incentives with clients, I think there's a, a clear path for abuse, obviously not from you guys, but from take your classic 28 year old who's selling products to give client advice on what they should do with their money. Not if they're looking for a product solution, great. But when you have a commission-based product, it just creates an opportunity for bad behavior. And I think that's the biggest issue with commissions in general. So I'll just well, uh, let me let me jump in and let me try to keep it generic um, and not go too much into the weeds. Uh, and it looks like I probably have more gray hair than anyone here. So um, 
but well, I'm getting there, but thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, this is an actual, yeah, we always like to go back to actual cases. So I, I meet with two clients, okay, a husband and wife, and they have 750000 to invest with me. Now, I can go on the AUM route and whatever I charge, I charge, okay? Or I went to them and said, well, you know, a lot of times I think it's not fair to charge, you know, 1%, for an example, if you have 375000 and 1% if you have 750000 you know, because I'm getting double, even though kind of I'm doing the, the same work. The only other industry that charges that way is the IRS. I don't think the comparison to the 1% of AUM model is the applicable comparison. There are many different, there are many issues with the AUM model. However, the AUM model does show the client the specific dollars that can be attributed to the service provided. The insurance company needs to make money. We all agree with that and we have no qualm with that. However, when you push the document to the other side of the table and the client signs on the dotted line, can they point to a number that says, here's what the insurance company is taking for their time and expertise in order to put me into this product? Does the customer before that paper's pushed over to them, do they accept that they got a good deal? No. Whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because they don't a, I think know that's how they think it's That's, that's, no, that's, if you present this and you say, this is the upside, this is the downside, here's the transparency, I'm earning a commission. What difference does it make? How that's much? A, that's a slippery slope. I would say. I would say. Where do you draw the line? I've agreed with most of what you said up until that comment, for the record. But I like it, who determines if the customer is getting a good deal? Well, that's you know you can't just say are they better off. At the end of the day, the client's either getting a good deal and a good annuity, or they're getting garbage. I think we can all agree that doing the right thing for the client is the right thing. And you and prove- doing garbage for the garbage is garbage. It doesn't matter. Can you prove that they're getting the services they asked for, for a reasonable price, reasonable being that they can point to it and say, okay, I understand the cost of this product. No more than you can prove that for an AUM fee or a flat fee or an hourly fee or anything else. They well, know the benefit. For an AUM fee, you can point to the dollar cost on a statement and say, this is what it costs for the services I provided you for the past quarter. I don't charge an AUM fee, but I'm defending it in this yeah. case. But in an insurance let's, let's product, that. But Chris, that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that someone who's charging an AUM, and AUM fee did a great job for the client. So what? The cost was disclosed, but- Or provided value. Right, because you okay. can't say you're providing value until you know what the outcome is going to be down the road, right? They could make money or lose money. You're going to charge your fee either way, right? So saying that we're going to have a good value, the only time you can, I think you can even begin to say that you're in the beginning given a good value is when you know what the ending is absolutely going to be. And even then- That's not true at all. That's no? Not, no, you can't guarantee anything. Even sure selling these products, you can't guarantee. The fairest fee model is one that clearly describes what the price is the client is going to pay and what services are included in that price. 
insurance does not include the price that the client pays for the service. It is included in, it is jumbled up with all of the other costs of the product. Does that make it bad? Where it do you doesn't make it bad. It from. makes it less transparent okay. and less then what's, fair. Then what's, if the customer, if, if I believe the customer got a good deal, really, because I know the industry, okay? And if the customer thinks, you know, I can't, I can't keep going out saying I provide the best service. The customer has to determine that. If Can they the believe- customer take your policy to another firm and shop right. it apples to apples to make sure that they're getting a good deal or not a good deal? Well, I'm independent. So I've shopped for them. Okay. If you or anyone wants to ever come behind me and check what I did, I welcome that. The only thing I will push back on is when, when, Someone says, well, we can't guarantee anything. I can. I can guarantee income. I can absolutely guarantee, guarantee, guarantee. income for life. You can and guarantee you guarantee the go? price that I pay for the service that you're providing? Doesn't matter. Yeah. If you tell me you I got $100,000 and I need guaranteed income, I've... I can guarantee it at age 69, 70, 75. And I don't care what you know you grow those assets to. You're not going to be able to guarantee that income. That's- I have to agree with Michael on this. Kate, look, you want guaranteed 50 grand a year. This is what so it's going to cost you a million bucks. Put a million dollars in this insurance product. You're guaranteed $50,000. Whether I make a 5,000, 50,000 or 500,000 on that to me is irrelevant to the client. As long as we're doing the right thing. Now, if he's selling a crappy insurance product just for the sake of selling a crappy insurance product and sending his pays kids more college, commission. Yep. Yeah, just that, to be that's, clear, that's universally bad. And just I don't to think be clear, because I want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. You're saying it doesn't matter if the fee that you charge on the product is five thousand or five hundred thousand, as long as the client is getting a good deal. That's that's the way I see it. I mean, well, it's either it's either worth it, it's either fee. worth it or it's not. Thanks I'm not negotiating. It's variable. It's very blanket statements that you guys are making. I'll let me tell you, if I'm talking to a 65-year-old lady that barely underwrites, she's got a, a fixed amount of money to put into, you know, let's say something that has ICIs, uh, high ICIs like a current assumption UL, it's probably going to hemorrhage on her. But if I've got somebody that's over 11.5 million and they're getting, you know, basically raked over the coals at 300000 plus in tax bill, I can stuff money in insurance. The commission doesn't even enter into it. I'm saving them so much money on taxes with the planning that the value is there. Everything else is variable. It comes down to client's needs, what the strategy is going to provide for the client. And then we look at how we can efficiently affect how those costs hit that client in their portfolio. One of the questions she asked, does the way you are paid dictate how you serve clients? I I will go on record as saying yes. Okay. Yeah incentives matter and people do what they're paid to do. Does anybody disagree with that? No, no. Okay. And you're bound to the confines of whatever your company provides in some cases as well. So, so here, here's my question to, to those out there who say that I charge an AUM fee. Okay. If incentives matter and you do what you're paid to do, and and I'm, I'm going in a different direction. What incentive do you have to do anything other than gather assets? Why would you spend any time or any energy doing anything other than just the basic onesie twosie tiddlywinks crap that you have to do to get your client to stay with you? 
I charge a monthly subscription fee, which forces me to add value to every single client I have month in and month out. Because if I don't, they can fire me with zero barriers to exit. They don't have to sign paperwork to transfer their accounts back over. They don't have to do any ACATing of positions back over to their personal account. I provide advice only financial planning and investment management. Okay, so I'm me, incentivized to come up with value month in and month out. Okay, let me let me rephrase that for you then, if, if I may. And, and I'm just playing devil's advocate as much as anything, okay? You're paid a flat X amount, but let's call it 500 bucks a month to do whatever it is you do. What incentive do you have to do anything? If you're, paying, if you're making an X flat $500 a month, why would you spend any more time than is actually Because if necessary? I don't, they'll fire me and they'll go find somebody else who does do what they're asking them to do. I, Derek, so that's what's incentivizing to do that. more than minimum? I, I, mean, I, have, I have clients ask me that exact same thing when I go through my, my fee model because I'm, I'm flat fee as well. Um, it ranges a little bit based on complexity of lives, but I just tell people, look, you're going to be paying me $5,000 a year. What's my, what's my motivation to grow your assets is that you keep paying me $5,000 a year and refer me to your friends to also pay me $5,000 a year. Like what more motivation do you need? Right? Like, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of a humorous question. My motivation to do more than the bare minimum is to ensure that I can continue to have this person as a client and to charge them monthly for as long as they need my help. So you charge a flat $500 a month period in discussion. So, so let's imagine that we have two clients. We have grandma Elsie over here. Who's got, you know, $2 million in an IRA and her husband has passed away and she lives right next to her son who's going to inherit all of her money. And she lives a very meager existence. And you're going to charge her a flat fee for that. Over here, you've got a lawyer who has equity compensation in his law firm and he's got $3 million worth of farms and ranches and $5 million worth of mineral interests and a artwork portfolio. And he's got seven kids by eight different women. And he's currently married to somebody right now whose kids are not his kids. He's done zero estate planning. And you're going to charge him the same amount that you're charging grandma Elsie. That second were, who, person wouldn't be a good client fit for me. I would refer okay. them out. Okay. Because they have a higher caseload and it's going to be more, more work. And, and that, no, that's kind of because my, I tend to work with millennials and younger investors. And, and that, that's, that's kind of the point that I try to make to people is whatever they say, I charge the, I talked to a guy the other day, says, I charge the exact same fee to everybody. If you charge the exact same fee to everybody, that means that you provide the exact same set of services to everybody. And I just have a hard time believing that. To be honest. No, it doesn't. It does not mean you charge the exact same things okay. to everybody. Okay. You said well, you I mean, if you're flat. sticking with your niche, I can understand that. But you, I don't treat, I'll tell you right now, I mean, I don't treat a medium income, you know, person the same as a $30 million uh, oil and gas royalty in the state. One of them is much more labor intensive for me. They will be charged more because I have to do, I expose myself with liability by helping them with their tax picture, by going out and working with an attorney, a CPA, building a very advanced plan. Whereas my median income earner, you know, we're just maximizing their contributions and keeping them in good shape. It's a totally different level of service. And you should be compensated for that. We're not saying you shouldn't be. Everybody should be compensated for the service they provide. And that compensation should be clearly stated at the bottom of the statement that the client can point to 
and say, this is what I'm paying for this service. I'm not anti-insurance. I have insurance. I have a lot of insurance. I have insurance agents that I work with. My issue with insurance is that it's not transparent. When you say things like there are no fees or it doesn't matter if I make 5,000 or 500,000 in fees, that is what is not transparent. These retail customers do not understand how insurance works. They bring me these policies and they have no idea what's inside them. And I try to explain it to them because the agent, not the people on this call, but the agent who sold it to them didn't explain it to them. That's completely transparent. That's the issue. That that doesn't dive into the issue of which fee model is transparent. That's just an issue of they bad are, apples in the bunch. They yeah. are all somewhat non-transparent in some yeah. way, but the fairest way to do it is to make it as transparent as possible. Flat fee or subscription fee is not the best fee model. I just believe it's the one with the least amount of conflicts of interest and the one that most closely aligns my clients with, with uh, what they need. Now, I'll give you an example of how I use my model to ensure ongoing interest and support, right? I'll set up 529s or I'll set up new accounts for them and tell them, hey, we're going to set up this 529 for your two-year-old and we're going to fund it at a certain rate so that we can watch you hit your investment goals for this college student in the future over time, right? Well, they're going to want to kind of check in and see that. Every quarter when we do our catch-up meeting, they're going to say, hey, what's the level of the, of the 529? Are we still on track to hit those goals? I am incentivized to monitor that account and also incentivized to keep them as a client to make sure that that 529 grows over time. So I'm not saying that there aren't conflicts of interest because my interest is that they stay with me. However, I also give them the tools and the education and the resources that if they want to take over that 529 themselves, they can. And they can understand your, your point to the dollar what fee they are paying for that. Every single dollar that comes out of my client's pocket, they can track to an investment, to a financial plan, or to my fee. I agree with Chris that conceptually, the fixed fee model is the best. I just couldn't do that as a CPA because I have too many things that I offer to my clients. And even the same client in very different periods will ask for two very different things. The issue that I have with, with fees in general is, first of all, I'm a big believer in, in fair fees for clients. And typically that's on the lower end because I think once you kind of get beyond the first year, a lot of the heavy lifting in a new client relationship that's where you spend a lot of time and, and money, basically, whether it's your money or you know other uh, assistants or, or professionals you bring into the mix uh, that work for you. But I think once you get beyond that, then it becomes an issue of what is a fair fee for a client on a long-term basis. And I happen to be on the fixed fee model. Now, again, you can have different tiers of fixed fees. I happen to have one, but you can have different tiers of that based on complexity or services that you're offering. Um, but to me, the challenge is I'm not so much against any one fee. I'm against kind of advisors that are not being transparent and advisors that are not charging a fair fee. And then the question becomes, who who determines what is a fair fee? And they say, well, you know, a lot of times, well, the client decides. So it's a, you know, we're in a capitalist, you know, world here and I'm, I'm a capitalist. But at the same time, you know, clients are coming to advisors because for the most part, 
I, I would say the vast majority, and this is probably being overly broad, don't understand some of these things to the extent they need. That's why they're seeking the help of an advisor. So when the advisor is not totally transparent with what their fee model is, not just the fees they're charging, but any fees and costs overall, whether it's insurance products, whether it's AUM fees, whether it's fixed fees or hourly fees or a combination of all those things. What I don't like is when, you know, advisors basically say, well, my AUM fee is this, and you know, maybe it's, you know, 1%, maybe it's 50 basis points or anything in between or tiered or, or whatever model you have. And then it's like, okay, well, that's what I earn. That's my fees. But then we're doing your tax returns here and that's another fee. And then we're selling you some insurance and that's another fee. And then what makes it even more uh, non-transparent is a lot of, I've seen this with a lot of large uh, investment advisory firms go down the route of, well, our RIA doesn't have insurance licenses and we don't receive commissions, but our registered uh, investment uh, representatives uh, do sell that in their personal capacities. I mean, what the hell is that? There's no personal capacity when you're working and supervised by an RIA. So again, I don't know how they get away with this stuff. They haven't been audited, examined, or whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, I don't care what model people charge. What I care about is are they transparent with all fees and costs? Does the client know that? And then they can judge whether they're getting this supposed value from any one advisor. So Scott, the duly registered reps are getting cracked down on. I did a LinkedIn post on that recently. You can see where they're actually uh, putting clients, they're double dipping in terms of commissions and fees at these banks. And the SEC is starting to crack down on that. Yeah, and it's, it's not even just banks, Chris. I mean, it's you, you look at some of the top names that are in the top 10, top 100 RIA lists out there. They're not banks. They're just full service wealth management firms that are also, again, not uh, duly registered. They're just saying that they're basically investment advisor representatives that are sole employees or partners in those firms are acting in their personal capacity to sell insurance products and receive a commission. Which, misses, which is misleading to a client. When a client is supposed to read the ADV and then they see, okay, number section five fees, you know, this is what we're paying in fees. We're paying this AUM fee and X number of dollars per hour for planning or a fixed fee for planning or, or whatever. And they think, okay, these are the fees. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, we're gonna kind of slip insurance into this equation. They don't kind of go back and think about that. And I think also it's part of how it's all presented. You know, is all of it laid out on the table in the beginning or is, okay, let's engage us and here's our fees. And and then down the road, six months or three months, it's like, oh, well, now we're going to talk about insurance and, and here's an insurance product. And they already think they're paying X. Well, now here's another cost to their overall you know, net worth, basically. Chris, if I wanted to work with you as the insurance guy, you said you bought insurance. So you ask for a full disclosure of compensation? So I typically don't do anything beyond term life. Um, I have looked into other insurance products, including annuities, and I have not been able to wrap my head around what the actual fee for service is in a lot of these products, which makes it difficult for me to recommend them. When I buy a 20-year term policy, I can look at the monthly premium and say, that is the cost that I'm paying in order to be insured. And I know that there is an administrative cost in that, but it's very, very small. 
when I look at these other products and people bring me these policies and are like, oh, I got this great tax-free income from this insurance product. And I go, well, how much did it cost? And I go, no, it's free. It's like, no, nothing's free. The insurance company is not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. They're making some money as they should for providing a service. How much are they charging you? Well, I don't know. That's right. Right. But as far as being able to see the true cost of something, like, do you ever have clients come to you with their social security statements, trying to figure out when they should claim social security or a pension, trying to figure out how they claim a pension? Sure. Do you ever get to determine the cost of that pension? Like how much more money could they have made annually if they didn't have a pension? There is an opportunity cost in tapping those funds early or not working the required number of years. There is analysis that you can do to determine what the best course of action is. But no, you cannot go back in time and tell them that they should have done this or that. And I mean, like with Social Security, you might look at it and tell somebody to spend down some of their qualified assets and defer, you know, claiming Social Security. But what if they pass away before they claim Social Security? What was the cost of that? That's not something I can control. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a lot of things like when you're doing an annuity with an insurance company, it's not that there's a cost inside the policy. The cost of it is that the carrier is taking on the risk and they're giving you what they believe will be a smaller return than their professionals can give them. But if the market drops, they take on that risk. And in order for them to take on the potential loss, they're also going to hold a potential higher gain. But just be, there's, there's no way to put those numbers on papers because they don't exist. They won't exist until that year's done and the following year's done, right? But just because you can put numbers on a piece of paper doesn't mean you're providing value. And I, I don't mean Doug, you. I'd be curious uh, from your perspective, you're, you're giving a lot of good sales pitches for the products you sell. You sell. Do you ever like recommend strategies that you don't sell to your clients? No, then, I, I guess my question is, would you ever show them your guarantee next to say a Monte Carlo that shows like, look, you could end up down here or up here. Most likely here's this middle line. You're going to be accepting something slightly below that middle line, which is totally fine. That's the cost I've ta- been talking about this whole time. You're giving up this upside. You're also getting rid of this downside, but like you can get this through an AUM advisor, a flat fee advisor, like, I don't have to be your answer. It just seems to me like you have kind of a, a one gun or one bullet gun that you're shooting with here. And just no. curious how often clients hear the other side of their No, I, 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 typically, I typically try to look at this stuff, as I've said a, a couple of times, on the bond side of a portfolio, right? You're not trying to grow that money. You're not hoping to get a 15% return on that part of the portfolio, right? We're trying to have... <clears throat> lower secure safe growth if so, if we if we can take provide this, advice for the equity side or i guess like do you work with advisors who advise on the equity side or what do you recommend clients do with, with the rest of their money so i well i don't usually deal with the clients i deal with the advisors but that's what they do is they they're they're you guys they're the guys that are charging fees okay right to manage funds and then i deal with them when they once their clients are 55 60 65 and we're trying to figure out how to better handle the secure side of the money, how to handle guaranteed lifetime income, how to claim the pension and, and the proper way to do it and why. I want to focus on the last question that Sarah put on LinkedIn, which is in the absence of a securities account, 
or in this case, an, an, an insurance product, a hybrid insurance investment product, what value do you provide to your class? Now, I, I'm really keen on that. I'm the one that posed that question because, and, and I just want to ask you guys this, because I think this, this goes to the heart of the debate. In, in the absence of an investment or, or, or insurance product, what are you guys doing for your clients? Because if, if your answer is nothing, all I do is rebalance. You know, I have the clients fill out a seven question risk tolerance questionnaire and then bam, out pops a portfolio and I turn that over to a third party money manager and I, I, I massage the client's feelings once a year to make them feel good. That's not financial advice. That's in investment management. And these are two totally different things. And I don't think you should expect an AUM based advisor to be compensated appropriately for financial planning advice. I, I don't. Any thoughts on that? Budgeting, health uh, expenses for childcare, buying a house, selling a house, uh, buying a car, selling a car, setting up accounts themselves, not managing them, like 529s as an example. Um, I had a list. Uh, going through the health benefits of the employee's uh, uh, benefits package and deciding which healthcare plan is appropriate for them seeing if they need to top up their life insurance in addition to what they're getting through their employer. Okay, so um, you're, you're, you're charging a flat $500 a month for all of this stuff, yeah. 250 but yes. Oh, oh, for I'm sorry, anything, say, it's anything that they want advice on. If they don't want to open an account, if they want to manage their own investments, but they need advice. Some people that come to me are referred to as validators. They're already doing it, but they want mm -hmm. to ask a professional opinion on what they're doing. Sure. And, and you feel like that flat amount is because because there are some people that are going to use you for two hours a month and there's people that are going to use you for 200 hours a month. And you feel like that's appropriate to charge the same amount, no matter how much you're working for the client. It is slightly it okay. is slightly different based on how many different things they need advice on. There is a okay. range. They will not utilize me the same number of hours every single month. That's not possible. However, the fee does stay the same unless I add additional services. And I say, now, how would you like me to add tax prep to your current package? And now it'll be 300 instead of 250. And they can say yes or no. Derek, so, so I, I see where you're going with that. And that's an issue I've struggled with personally. And I think with yeah. the, the flat fee, the reason I just remind myself to keep focusing on a niche is the you know, the more broad spread you get, the harder it is to deal with a flat fee and just uh, an array of service. So if, if you want to criticize flat fee, at least from the advisor's perspective, it's it's tough to manage that dynamic you're talking about. For me, that's why, like, I just try to remind myself, all right, focus on your target niche of, you know, clients in their 30s and 40s with equity compensation. I even try and focus on a few companies because then I know their, I know their, like, when their stock vests, I know their benefits, I know their 401k, if they have mega Roth or not all those situations, you kind of have a very typical client. And I do charge four different tiers of fees ranging from kind of like career starter to retiree, which vary a lot. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's important to educate clients on their options. So like when I have someone come to me with a $500,000 portfolio, or I guess a better example would be a, a $200,000 portfolio, their fee, if they're in their mid thirties and they have equity comp and they're a married couple, is probably gonna be around 5,500 per year. I make sure I let them know, if you go to an AUM advisor, you are going to pay them less money than you will pay me over the next few years. Here's the services I'm going to provide that I think you likely won't get from them. 
But if you can find someone who will do these services and get in and charge their AUM fee, you should know that you'll be paying them less. Yeah. So I, I should I should say that question is not directed. I, I generally get a different feel from you guys than I do from the typical RIA down the street who says, you know, what they're saying is we're going to provide comprehensive financial advice on, on your investments, but also on your tax, on your estate planning, on your retirement, and on your budget, on net worth, and on risk management, on this, and that, and the other. And you're going to pay me a small fee out of your investment accounts that covers all of this. In other words, let me make sure that I understand this correctly. Pay me for investments, for the easy work that I can outsource to a third-party manager, and I'll give you all this hard stuff for free. Unfortunately, I, just, I, I, I don't believe that. I really don't. Unfortunately, that's, that's a lot cool. of the times, all that extra stuff is not yeah. actually happening. Unfortunately, right? No, no. That, and and that's that's my biggest beef is 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 I, if I if I were the emperor, I, I would wave a magic wand and say there's a difference between a financial advisor who gives practical, educated, technical advice around personal finance and an investment advisor. Those are two different things, and you should have to. Tell everybody that, you know, because I, I, I admittedly, I, I lose a lot of business to the wirehouses and to the other people who are really good at sales pitches and saying, I provide all this stuff. I, I had a, and I, I can't count the number of times that I see people come and say, oh yeah, my guy gives me tax advice. Really? What kind of tax advice does he give you? And then, and then I say, is, is he a CPA? Nope. Does he have any experience in tax? Nope. When's you the last time you collected your tax, tax return? <laughs> has he ever have he has he ever looked at your tax return? I'm not asking if he understood it. I'm just asking if he ever looked at it. Well, no. How the hell you take advice from a person who's never looked at your tax return? What's wrong with you? Well, but he makes me feel really good about myself, and he we have a deep emotional connection. Really, you've got to be kidding me. You're paying this guy sixty grand a year for a deep emotional connection. Get a dog. Right. Or, you know, the client events or takes me to the steakhouse or whatever. So, gentlemen, I think what we really need to get to here is how do we help clients understand and recognize and evaluate the value that they're getting versus what they're paying? First of all, I need to know what they're paying, generally speaking. Okay, so transparency is important for that. Derek. It is, but but again, so the, the client there's a, there's a difference between the cost of advice. Yeah, it is, but there's a difference between cost of advice and the cost of the insurance, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, the cost of advice is one thing; insurance is something totally different. What if it's commingled together? And, and often it is. It, it usually right. is. I mean, my, my advice is to buy my insurance product, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, that, that's the part of the challenge. And I kind of asked that question already knowing the answer to it. But, you know, earlier, Michael had made a comment, and I'm, I'm sure that this is not the case with them. But the way you describe something is kind of what's typically done in this industry, which is, okay, you've got $750,000 client in your example. And it's like, do you want to pay an AUM fee of 1%, you know, basically $7,500 a year, or we can kind of cut that in half and put you into an insurance product and yeah, this is the right thing for you and blah, blah, blah. Assuming it is and all that's right. But at the end of the day, you're still earning a commission on that. There's still ongoing, again, insurance costs embedded, administrative fees. Again, the, the advisor's not earning that part of it, but there's still costs that need to be compared and disclosed on an ongoing basis. So, I mean, it's very common to have multiple products and offerings commingled together, but to me, it's all about transparency 
in his offerings. I mean, I knew somebody many, many years ago, and, and I've seen this a couple of times throughout. So I wonder actually how kind of prevalent it is in the industry. I've never really researched it, but I've seen it's like, well, we have our matrix. And it's like, you know, we put this percent of total wealth into, you know, AUM model, this percent into insurance, this percent into, you know, different type of vehicle, this much we're going to earn in planning fees and so on. So overall, you know, you hit your number as an advisor, but it's not transparent to a client in any way where all those fees are coming from. Yeah, I, I, I don't have an answer for that. And I think a lot of the times, insurance salesmen, and I used to be a registered rep. I used to sell, I mean, of course, we know what our commission is going to be on A shares, but on, on insurance products, I had absolutely no idea, to be honest with you. I, I, all I, the only time I know whenever I make money is whenever they send me a check. That, that's how I know. Um, so I, I can't disclose that. I mean, I might can disclose it after the fact, but but again, if, if the insurance product is appropriate for a client, then it's appropriate. Commissions be darned, in the way I see it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, but it gets down to kind of if the insurance is an appropriate product because they need insurance of any kind, whatever it happens to be, the question becomes: if you don't know what you're getting paid on it, then how does the client know? that again, this is the right policy for them. I mean, I can go out and get, you know, quotes from a hundred different policies for car insurance or, you know, property and casualty or anything else. And if I don't know what I'm paying at each of these, what the agents are earning on this thing, all I can go is, okay, what am I paying in premiums at the end of the day? So, you know, how many times is a client gonna go out after they've already had a relationship with you and say, oh, you proposed this annuity or this insurance product, and now I'm gonna go out and quote this out. I mean, it's probably almost nothing as far as a percentage of people that are going to actually yeah. do that. So to I, me, it I agree with you, but the, the cost to the client is the cost of the premium. Now all the commissions and all this other stuff is built into it. But at the end of the day, you get protection for a certain cost. How much I make out of that cost is irrelevant. Now, now that's different if you have some unscrupulous advisor who's charged with something that has like a 20% commission you know, a 20 year surrender, like Michael Kitts has said on his podcast one time. But, right, but the problem with it, Eric, and I, the way I see this is it's it's not just the advisory. I mean, you see this with any kind of insurance, like property and casualty insurance. Yeah. I mean, they don't even get into the advice business with clients most of the time. That's just, you know, separate products, cars, houses, et cetera, umbrella policy, you name it. And you, you, even on that side of it, it's like, without being able to go out and kind of quote this out and make sure that for the coverage that you need, if you do need insurance, are you getting basically the lowest cost product for the level of insurance with a stable insurance company? And I think a lot of times people don't know that when they're working with an advisor, when we're talking about annuity and life insurance, because this happens over the course of a relationship generally, not necessarily like, oh, we just brought you on as a new client and we're gonna just throw the kitchen sink at you and you need insurance and you need this and you need that. And we're gonna kind of do it all for you out of the gate and and you can make the decision whether we're gonna work together or not on the onset. A lot of this is as time goes on. And then what happens is we probably all know is that in the insurance business, even though as Michael even said, you know, I'm independent, I can quote this out, everybody has their favorite carriers. You know, it's one or two or three carriers. Sure, you might quote it out, but you're gonna end up placing a lot of the insurance with the same carriers. I mean, I see that even with my own insurance, you know, auto insurance, property and casualty. I mean, agents just don't wanna quote this stuff out because it's time and energy and work that's involved in doing that. So to me, that's the bigger challenge kind of on the insurance side, which is a whole different- Which is why you should charge for your time and energy and work lends itself to the hourly or value billing or by the job model in my humble opinion. Well, you know what? I, I mean, I can go out and quote uh, life insurance 
20-year term on the internet right now. Whether you come through me or you come through another advisor, I can quote it and someone can go out and get the lowest rate. Inevitably, um, and, and there's companies out there that'll say, hey, we'll, we'll guarantee it. We'll, we'll issue it in 30 minutes. You know, they're going to pay more for that. They're not going to get the best rate. But what if you have a medical issue? You know, and at that point, if you're going out for 20 year term, okay, who cares what the commission is? The commission is the commission. Who cares? I go out and buy a Mercedes. I don't care what that sales rep is making. I really don't. As long as I feel I got a good deal. I agree. I just bought a car for $46,000. The cost to me is 46 grand. Right. I don't care how much that guy made. Yeah. That, it was worth 46 grand to me because that's what I paid for. It. Well, what if you could have bought that same car down the street for 42,000? Again, maybe it's not your time, energy and effort to do it, but you know, again, should that be disclosed that there's lower cost options out there for the yeah. same exact car? Customer is starting to ask and they're going to find the, out that the car down the street costs less when it's exactly the same. Because but they were talking about me. the cost of the car, not the cost of the advice from the salesperson. Right. Those, are, those are two totally different things. Right. I guess I will pay $42,000 for a car rather than 46000 for that identical car. Yeah, agreed. But what does that have to do with what the salesperson got? You guys are ignoring the, the incentive structure that that creates. And like in... I think there's a lack of AUM advisors on here right now, actually, but that's, I think the elephant in the room that isn't being addressed as much, or so I guess, Derek, is, is your revenue primar primarily AUM? It, it, it's about half and half AUM and half. Yes, regardless, but like, I would say that's the most prominent fee structure in our industry, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I and, and I think most clients don't realize that there is a conflict of interest there, whether it's not explained to clients that they have variable annuities or insurance options available to them, or like one specific example I see a lot with tech employees is that they are extremely high earning and have these big brokerage accounts. They already own homes. They've already met their short and midterm goals. They want to retire early. They're coming from a fiduciary AUM advisor who specializes in tech that has never explained to them they could be shoveling an additional $35,000 a year into a mega Roth 401k. That's just inexcusable. I don't understand how they can at least not have that conversation with that client. And like, it, it riles me up. Like maybe you can see, like I... And I get this all the time. It's like, how can that possibly happen? It's like, oh yeah, wait, the advisor doesn't get paid on their 401k. So that's why yeah. they've never had that conversation. Now I, I have an engagement letter and it says front and center and big, the only sentence bolded on my engagement letter is I have a conflict of interest. I make money like the classic uh, investor pay off the mortgage question. I make money when you invest. I do not make money when you pay off the mortgage. This could influence my advice. And I let people know that. And I, I tell them that up front. So that way they know. That, that doesn't fix it though. Like this is one of Sarah's questions. Does yeah. disclosing a conflict of interest, like, is that enough? The answer is no, that doesn't solve bad financial advice. Incentives like drive behavior. And just yeah. by telling a client that I have a conflict of interest doesn't fix the issue. That so what you're saying is that we should eliminate conflicts of interest. It, how can you eliminate down to like what, why we're here talking about fees, right? Is you know, how can minimize motivate individuals? And, and that's how I minimize it by disclosing it. Look, I can't do anything about that. Yeah, I can't. I mean, that, that is an inherent conflict of interest in the way that I do business, in the way that most people do business. Look, it's been disclosed. You make the call at this point. We cannot eliminate conflicts of interest. They abound. Everybody on this call, by the very nature of the fact that you're making money, you want to work less and get paid more. 
Your clients want to pay you less and work you more. That is a conflict of interest that you cannot get away from. It doesn't mean we can't work to try to have a conversation to reduce it as much as possible. The idea that that we do something just because that's the way that it's always been done is a poor excuse. I think the big thing missing, and I don't know exactly how to fix it, but is having clients understand options for alternatives. And it's just so hard because everything is based on trust in our industry. And most clients don't talk to more than one advisor. Maybe they'll talk to a couple, but really it's like, if they have a good relationship with you, they're going with you. And there's very rarely discussion about what are my alternatives. But it shouldn't just be go shop. It should be because of the level of assets for me to charge you a flat fee on this would be a very high percentage of your wealth. You may be better off with AUM in this case, or because of the fact that you have these 401k plans or this mega Roth that I won't get paid on, I would have an incentive to tell you to roll it over or whatever, right? So hourly might be better in that case, right? Or or something like that, okay? But see, I think it it would require the advisor to clearly explain why the person needs to conduct that analysis. Or I've seen this also with advisors. You are insulting your client's intelligence by doing that. Look, hey, in in my opinion, this is what I offer. It is not my job nor my duty to educate you on every single advisory model in the entire world. You want to find out what Sarah Grillo charges? Go ask. You want to find out what Matt Pruitt charges? Go ask and make a decision. This is what I offer you. Take it or leave. It's not insulting their intelligence. It's an indication of the high degree of trust that they place in the advisor that they're talking to. And especially if that person is referred to them, they're just going to trust whatever you say. You're an investment for them. Like you should treat yourself like an investment. If you're recommending an investment, wouldn't you look at the expense ratio of that? Like why do we exclude our expenses when giving clients advice? It's not my job to say how everybody else charges. You, You should go shop as an educated, intelligent individual presumably whose money means something to them, you should go shop this around. Yeah, but the problem is most people don't know how to do that. It gets back to my earlier point of my problem. I understand where you're coming from on that. But the point is, is if we're trying to bring more clarity and transparency, at least from my perspective, I am to the advisory space. I mean, I turn away a lot of clients that number one are not a good fit for me. My fee, even though it's low, still wouldn't be, you know, in line with what they're doing. I give them other options that are out there. I say, oh, you just need advice in this area. You don't need me to provide advice and, and manage your money and do everything. Or other people maybe just need investment yeah. management. They don't need the advice side of it. They've got it all figured out and they're knee deep in this but i think the the problem is the vast majority of people though come to an advisor because they are not familiar with all of these topics that's why they're seeking everybody's help as an advisor and now we have to sort of send them out into the wild you know go sure shop around do whatever you want to do but at the same time they don't even know when to begin to do that not to find the people but how do you even begin to analyze one advisor over another other than i like bob or i like susie because we get along and we click and that's why a lot of decisions are made in this industry and that's why unfortunately people end up overpaying getting the wrong services that they don't need or vice versa and you know just back they don't realize that till many many years later or through multiple relationships with different advisors so i'm by no means am i disagreeing with you there has to be a little bit more objectivity offered up here for example i've seen some advisors that will just say i'm not the best person i'm not the person talk to her 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 or him and, and I'll tell you a story of a client who came into my office the other day. They had $15 million worth of oil and gas minerals. 
zero million in anything else. And I talked to them, I said, I'm going to be honest with you. The best thing you can do is sell half of it. We'll start with half. And they said, under no circumstances will I ever, 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 ever sell any of my minerals. And we talked about it and I said, okay, I can't help you. There, I, I, whether I want to or not, I cannot help you. You need to go find somebody else. You need to find an advice-only financial planner. Yeah. Would be the well, answer good, in that case, yeah, right? Good, yeah. So yeah. that's, I think, where we need to go as an industry. It's always sort of sort of kind of the same thought process. Like this is our way. If you don't like it, go shop it around and clients got to go figure it out. So, I mean, do you think by not necessarily giving people exact names, go see Bob or Susie, but you know, you would be better fitted in maybe an advice only model, or you better you go by, you just need insurance. You know, here's a couple good insurance people, or, you know, here again, here's a list of 25. So you're not, you know, in the hook for any liability or anything. But at the same time, do you think you're not acting in a fiduciary capacity if you're not doing that? But you're just kind of throwing up your hands saying, well, this is my advice. If you don't like it, you know, go find somebody else or shop around. Is that acting as a fiduciary when you're not giving clients some other option? I guarantee they weren't a client of yours at this point, but if they were a client and they needed something other than that, and, you know, again, are you just saying go shop it around and figure it out on your own? Scott, Scott, what do you need help with? You need help looking at insurance. I charge two fifty an hour. Bring your stuff in. Bring your questions. I'll go over it. I'll send you the bill. How is that not fiduciary? I'm not. I'm not charging you a commission. All I'm telling you, this is what I think that you need. For example, a a a, a variable life insurance because you have a big estate problem. Okay, now I'll help you shop that. I'll do anything you want me to do as long as you pay my fee. Right, but earlier, you said, earlier you made the comment. You said, you know, this is what I do. If you don't do it, go shop it around. You don't like it, go somewhere else. I mean, that's all fine and well. But again, do you, even though they're not your client, do you think you have any fiduciary responsibility to that person to at least point them in the right direction, even from a 30,000-foot view? Do I have an obligation to a person who is wasting my time and not giving me any money? Probably not. Nope. Sorry. If you're my client or you're not, if you give me money, right. you're my client. If you're not giving me money, you're not my that's client. That's the challenge here is like at the end of the day, I'm not saying like waste a bunch of time and money. Yeah. Somebody is not your client. But at the same time, if you're talking to a prospective client, whether it's one meeting or a couple meetings in, and you're at the point where, again, this is just not going to work for one reason or another. I think that's part of the problem with the industry. Now, send the person back out in the wild and they'll go get screwed over by somebody else. And I, and I try and educate people. I mean, what do you want? Are you just looking for tax prep? Because I'm a CPA. I do all my own taxes. If all you want is tax prep, there are literally a dozen firms within one mile of this office. Go find any of them. Okay. Like, a phone book. You, you got one of these? Okay. Google, brother. Now, if you want in, if you want help with your mineral interest portfolio, I don't know anything about that. Now, I, I got a couple of names for you. Derek, but, does it say that on your website? What? That if you need help with a mineral interest portfolio, I am not the person for you. No. Okay. You're welcome to ask that at the first meeting. Okay, but if it did, I'll tell them that, Derek. I think if it did, then that would eliminate the issue you describe of I'm wasting my time with somebody who isn't the ideal person for me. Well, that's why you had the first discovery meeting, right? Sit down and find out are, are we a good fit for each other. The only point of the first meeting is to decide do we want to have a second meeting. I, I think it's a problem throughout the industry because if yeah. you look at how advisors are presenting themselves. They're yeah. never having any discernment. You know, I'm a financial advisor for dentists or doctors or this or that, but then there's no specification of the, the ideal client is this type of a person. Well, and the reason why I think that is with a know, capital T is because most advisors are, AU, are, are, are salespeople in wool's clothing. They're, they're, they're salespeople in drag. 
they're out there trying to collect an AUM fee and gather as many assets and they want to dangle the carrot. They want to do some little tiddlywink financial planning just so their clients don't leave, but they're not doing any real substantial planning. And why in the world would an AUM based advisor turn away somebody with significant assets? That's just stupid. Unless I'm not, not necessarily in the client's best interest to not work with the AUM advisor. That's not for me to decide. I charge 1%. Do you know how much 1% is of any given number? And I actually had this conversation with the client one time. I, was like, I want to know exactly down to the dollar. I said, well, it's 1%. I want to know down to the dollars. Like 1% is 0 0.01. So, so if someone came with a $3 million portfolio, you wouldn't yeah. tell them you're going to be paying me $30,000 $30, a year. Yeah, that's what I said. Somebody that, that exact same thing. By the way, you're paying your existing advisor one and a half plus one and a half in expense yeah. ratio plus another half point in program fees. That's three and a half million, three and a half percent you're paying. And I'm going to charge you 1.2 all in. Do the math. I did all the math. It was a $60,000 a year savings. And the guy still went back to his old advisor because his old advisor made him feel good. Whatever. Not my money. Not my money. It's your money. You do what you want with it. Derek, I don't think anybody is disagreeing that you're breaking your fiduciary duty, but I think it does speak to a larger issue, uh, specifically where in this survey that was conducted where the profession of financial advisor was the second most cringeworthy among the public just after lawyer. Right next to used car sale lawyer, yeah. I'm not going to compare other advisors' models. That's up for you to decide. And, and to, to, for me to compare your model, you know, 12 different advisors' models to mine, that's an insult to the client's intelligence. They can figure it out. And if they can't think, figure it out, that's not my problem. Yeah, I think that's an issue. And I, Scott touched on this earlier, especially in the industry when we're charging, when we are charging as a percentage of assets. Generally, we're not dealing with the most sophisticated clients. They come to us in a position of trust and vulnerability and looking for us for advice. And if we don't explain to them what their options are, then how are they going to know? And especially you look at like any other profession that bills hourly, like I feel like law firm is actually a great example of this. You, there's different people within that firm that charge different rates based on their experience and complexity. You don't have that same dynamic in our industry for the most part, right? When you raise your fees on a client, which is a, I feel like an increasing trend in our industry, especially on the AUM side, they have to make the decision of, do I leave this person that I trust and has always told me the right thing to do as far as they're concerned, or do I just pay them another 0.25%, you know, like I'm probably just going to stick with them. They don't have like a, a junior lawyer that they can go to for a lower hourly rate, nor do they have any idea how, like what dollar amount they're paying that advisor. So it's, to me, that's the issue is again, transparency and lack of visibility to alternatives, but I don't know. That's, well, that's like, like I told the client the other day, I, was just like, I charge 1%. That's 0 0.01. You do know how to find 1% of any given number, right? Move the decimal place twice. Derek, I'm and, telling you, my mom, who's a <laughs> widow, like that's like the yeah. reason I got into this industry would have no fucking idea how to do that. So like, yeah, excuse okay. me, pardon my French, but okay. like- I should just get sold an annuity. <laughs> I can't go around and I could talk about, well, there's a, there's a fee- a monthly fee planning opportunity for you. But I would assume that both Chris and Matt are different. You know, I don't know if someone doesn't like certain options. It's not on their website to say, I don't like this and I'm not going to recommend this, or I do like this. I, I mean, I think we're, 
we're never going to solve this issue. You know, at, at some point, and it sounds bad, thankfully for the internet, though, it's always buyer beware. People will be taken advantage of. We know that in any industry, any profession, people will be taken advantage of. All we can hope is, and it's not disclosure of fees, because that doesn't solve the problem. As an example, like Derek, much I have much younger clientele than I'm sure most people on this call do actually. But when someone comes to me that's 35, I say you have like three very basic options: robo advisor, 0.25 percent. Like you're not going to get the comprehensive advice there, but if you're just looking for like a place to put your money and get exposure to the market, that's great. You have a flat fee, which is my model, or you have a 1% AUM model, or you know somewhere an AUM model out there. Just three general buckets to explain to them. Like, what are your options? It's very basic, um, and that you know ignores the structured products out there. Uh, so maybe add a fourth bucket, but very basic to say, like, what are my options? Like, and that's all I'm talking about. Just, yep. and I do say, if you have three hundred thousand dollars, here's what my fee, and here's what it would be with a traditional advisor. Maybe it's close, maybe it's not. Maybe I'm cheaper, maybe I'm more expensive. I actually have done that exercise, and I'm half my clients I'm more expensive, half I'm cheaper. So like, yep. you know. It just, it works out, but I just like explain to him what their options are. High level. Just out of curiosity, and I'm not, again, picking any dude, Derek, because this is widespread in the industry is, you know, use the example of a 30, a $3 million client paying 30 grand a year. I mean, again, every client's different, I know, but just in right. kind of the law of averages, are you doing three times the amount of work for that $3 million client than a 1 million? You could be doing more work for the $1 million client. So again, getting back to you know, what's a fair fee structure, not just for the advisor, but also for, I mean, not for just the client, but also for the advisor. So I think there's just a lot of flaws with the AUM model. Again, I don't care how people charge as long as the fee is fair. And a lot of times, I mean, there'd be situations where you just are being over, you're overcharging clients that are high net worth. I, I, uh, I, agree, I agree with you 100%. I really do. But the reason why I cannot operate on a fixed fee model is because of the just the sheer volume of services that I offer people. I can't, if I'm going to do sales tax research, that may take me six hours to research one thing. I cannot price that into a fixed fee. I can't do it. Like on a $1 million client that you're making 10 grand a year on, if you're providing like 20 services and for the $3 million client, you're providing 10 services, you're actually losing money then on the $1 million client, which is kind of typical. In well, this yeah, that's, 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 why, that's why I charge two separate sets of fees because the, the non-investment related services you should not expect to pay for them with investment related dollars. Just focus on the investment fee, like ignore, okay. ignore what okay. you charge for tax and everything. Cause that's understandable, especially the bookkeeping side, but on just the investment fee, I think that's what Scott's getting at. Well, at the end of the day, I get paid in two ways. It's easy to calculate, look at your statement and it tells you advisory fees, look back through your checkbook and see the checks that you made payable to Derek. Is my advice worth that amount? If it's not, Hit the road. Go find well, somebody guess, who you who is, that it's more palatable to. You. On the same token, too, one million dollar clients have one million dollar problems. Ten million dollar clients have ten million dollar problems. Because once you no, I, I disagree with that. Well, then you, you, you never, worked, you've never three, worked in a tax. You don't problem. have two or three uh, uh, times the amount of work just by again somebody having you know uh, another digit that's higher in their overall investable net worth. And we're just looking at AUM fees separate from the other stuff that you already said that you're billing separately on, that you're already getting compensated for all that extra work. It's not three 
times the work to go out and manage a portfolio for a client unless they happen to have you know this client has 20 accounts and you got to set them all up and this and that and this client has one but again a lot of that works up front you could price again a la carte for that or however you want to do it but on an ongoing basis if you're charging separately and i'm not again i'm not picking on you because this is widespread no. in the industry then you're not providing three times the amount of work on just the AUM alone because you're you're getting paid on the other side for all the other work. I, I understand what you're saying, that it doesn't take five times as much work to manage a $5 million client as it does a $1 million client. I understand that. I really do. But let me ask you a question. What's a conceptually more moral fiduciary way to do it? Well, it depends on what you're doing. I think, you know, there's a lot of advisors that are out there that are just managing using index funds, trying to get the returns of the market, whether that be with Vanguard, ETFs, DSA. Okay, I do the same thing. But okay, that's beta. So now the question is, how much do you want to charge for somebody to, to go out and get beta, basically, returns in their portfolio? You can do that on your own. Just go to Vanguard, buy a world index fund on the, the equity side, and then, again, no tilts or anything, just you know, market weights, and then do what you're going to do on the bond. Very simple. They can go do that on their own. Now the question becomes, I've hired an advisor. How much more should I pay an advisor now to add maybe a little more complexity depending again on clients preferences and a number of other factors that that go into this but you're still not going to have like active management here so how much is that worth now and you're asking a very deep philosophical question to which there is no answer i don't think I charge so. what i charge if you don't like what i do you're welcome to go find somebody who fits you you do you man but if you're, again if you're providing beta and you're separating that from the other fees that you're charging which you are, which most people are not, but you are, which I think is good because they know what you're paying for all the advice side of it. And then on the investment side, you're charging your AUM fee. If you're just going out there and providing beta basically with some customization, depending on accounts, asset location, you name it, tax loss harvesting, you know, this, this bucket of finite administrative maintenance services on the investment management side alone, mm -hmm. why should anybody be paid two or three or four times the amount to do that when they're getting compensated for the advice on the other side. Let me let me let me throw another question back at you. Okay. You you know what I charged? I charge one percent, and I break that down again just mentally: half percent for asset management, half percent for integration. Okay. Why why should I charge less than the guy down the street who's charging one and a half percent plus the mutual funds that are charging one and a half percent plus the half point program fee or platform fee or anything else like that. Why should I accept lower money for doing a better job than the usual suspects? Well, that's a different topic. I mean, my original, no, same topic. Well, my, original exactly question, topic. my original question though was, is it three and four and five sure. times the amount of work? And the answer is clearly no, but no. now, bringing another point in here which is why should you charge something different or less than the guy down the street that's but, a different topic but 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 at the end of the day that's the same topic at the no. end of the day I, I i is it is it five times as much work no it's not but, but if the, if the, the clients don't work with me do it right i've worked with four different cpa firms and work with a lot of people i guarantee you if they don't work with me, they're not going to Vanguard. I promise you, they're not going to Vanguard. They're going to go work with the wirehouse down the street who's going to charge them three times as much to do about a third of the services. So I have absolutely no qualms in charging 1%. I think I'm worth that. If you disagree, you're welcome to go anywhere in the world you want to go. 
Yeah, I think that's, I think that's the reason we're having the, the conversation today. And I, I think 10 years from now, the industry will look very different. So yeah, there's always a, a comparison that goes on between what else can I get out there? And I think the industry is shifting and um, there will be more flat fee advisors down the street from you five years from now, I would, I would have to assume. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. And I think that if, again, if, if your advice model is nothing more than you, fill, you had the clients fill out a seven question risk tolerance questionnaire, bam, out pops the portfolio. You transfer that to a third party money manager who does all the hard work. And all you do is just play middleman. I think that you will be a dinosaur in the next 10 to 20. The next generation is not going to fall for that. They're not. So you got you to come up with something. And that's one of the reasons why I continue to do tax returns and do all the, 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 the nitty gritty tax stuff with my clients because it makes them sticky. And because they're getting better service at a lower price than they are by going down the street to the usual suspects. Yeah, but I think part of the challenge, Derek, and not to pick on you this time, because I think this is you're you're doing it right, disclosing like the you know the fees you're charging for the advice side of it versus the investment management. But there's a whole industry out there, as you know, that is not doing that. They're saying, okay, your fee is one one and a quarter percent of AUM, and we do everything for you in planning, you know, taxes, blah blah blah, and we don't charge you all of these hourly or project-based fees on the advice side like you're doing today, and that that's part of also the challenge out there is that there's there's one firm in particular that gets a lot of publicity and kind of a, a love, you know, relationship with the media out there in this industry yeah. and you know, publicly talk about how, you know, they won't take a client on unless, you know, they go through planning and, you know, understand overall what's going on and planning is very important and they'll never do anything with investments before. But then you go read their ADV and their ADV says, we're an investment management firm charging, you know, X percent of AUM. And this is our tiered schedule and it starts off very high. And at the end of the day, you know, planning is an optional thing if you want it. So it's like this is part of the challenge out there is that people are they're going to advisors. Advisors are telling them that they're doing something that they're not doing. Their websites don't match their ADVs. Their fees don't match their ADVs. The services don't match that. Then they're telling clients different things. And, and how is a consumer, you know, to, to Matt's point, his mother going to go out and figure or even my own mother going to go out and figure this out? on their own if they don't have kind of the, the basic facts that they can kind of go out and, and look at this when everybody's doing everything so different and it's not transparent. It'd be one thing if people were doing everything differently, which it is, and they were transparent about everything, but they don't have a fighting chance when at the end of the day, they're not transparent and everybody's doing everything different from fees to services, and then they're not even doing what they say they're gonna do. You know, Scott, we all hand out a CRS, right? Customer relationship summary, best interest. We all well, use something like that. Regulators at the state level don't have to do that. I mean, the RIA. Okay. Is it, if you're a state RIA, you don't. Federal, you would. Okay. We, we've spent almost two hours talking about transparency. My question is, why are some two pages long and some are 20 pages long? Well, they're supposed to be two pages or less. So anybody that's over two pages is in violation of the regulations. It's plain and simple. Uh, Unless you're duly registered. Right. So why, again, some are two and some are 20. I have to believe that there's not a lot of transparency in the 20-page ones. No, there's not a transparency in any of them. You read these, most, the vast majority of them are more opaque than their ADVs. It's like, we charge a fee, it's based on complexity, and they list no fees, no ranges, nothing. So what is somebody supposed to do with that? Nothing. Scott, I agree with you that the lack of transparency and the the know nothing 
you know, sales schmucks of the world are doing incredible damage to, you know, the five, the 10% who is actually real good financial advisors trying to do what's in the best interest of their client. And my question to you is, what are, what could you do about it? Well, I don't I know. Maybe change the world. I'm not trying to change the world. Already, Derek, I haven't looked at any of your stuff, but again, if, if you're transparent and you're telling your clients what you do and it's on your website and it matches your ADV and your fees are what yeah, they are yeah. and it's what you build people, regardless of whether they're high, low, or indifferent, then I think that's probably what you can do. But the yeah. problem is, is you know, and, and everybody I think on this call knows that the industry is not like that. And yeah, so I agree the, fully. So how do you bring the industry forward? I think, at least from my perspective, what I've been trying to do for the last 20 years is make people aware that there's other options out there. Again, it's not just cost, but it's also transparency, clarity. You know, there's different ways to, to buy different services. It doesn't have to be all together. It can be a la carte. And then again, to your point, Derek, they can make their decisions after that. But when they don't have all the information and they're just going to, you know, the top two advisors that showed up in Google because they put whatever keywords they were looking for, geographic fees, services, whatever. And now they're talking to Bob and Susie and, and all of a sudden, you know, Bob and Susie are each giving their sales pitch and, you know, the client doesn't know one from the other. And now it's like, well, they're, they're intimidating. So I'm not going to go start looking for number three and, and four and five. I'm going to decide between Bob and Susie. And it's not necessarily those are the best options for them. It's just, again, they're overwhelmed by this stuff. All right, gentlemen, I unfortunately have to wrap up the show. Sorry to have to do this here, but I just have to say a few boring disclaimers. So nothing in this podcast uh, guarantees the success of any program. I'll strive to maintain current information. However, information contained in this podcast may become out of date. Nothing contained in this podcast is legal or compliance advice. For such advice, please consult a legal or compliance advisor. And this information is general in nature. For specific advice, specifically applicable to your current situation, please consult the financial advisor. Nothing in this podcast can be interpreted as an investment recommendation of any type. And the opinions expressed herein do not necessarily represent the views of Sarah Brillo or Brillo Investment Management, LLC. Any similarities to people deceased or alive are entirely coincidental. Thanks for listening. See you in the next one.